Welcome to Practical Christian Living. Maybe there's different angels that work in different categories of our lives. We know that Jesus, when he was tempted in the wilderness, was ministered to by angels. We know that when Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was full of sorrow and all of our grief and all of our sorrow was placed upon Jesus, that angels ministered to him. And I believe that angels minister to you. On this special day, we celebrate God born as a baby. We are looking at the angels. Who are they? How do they minister to us today? And what role did they play in announcing the birth of the Messiah? Stay with us for this special Christmas message today on Practical Christian Living. Here's Robert Furrow. Today, out of the book of Luke, we want to look at the angels of Christmas. Actually, the announcements that were given by the angels and look at some of the special things that they said about the birth of Christ, about the birth of Jesus. And I wanted to take a moment in the beginning of this study and consider Jesus himself, just to reflect upon his person. The Bible says that no one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten of the Father has revealed him to us. So if you want to know what God is like, what the Ancient of Days is like, then you look at the Son of the Highest, and that's what God is like. When we think about Jesus as his ministry began after he was baptized by his cousin John and he walked the streets of the villages of Galilee, when he walked the shore of Galilee and he began to call unlikely disciples. He comes across two sets of brothers, James, John, Peter and Andrew, and he says, leave your nets and follow me. He didn't go to some school. He didn't go to some religious place to find people to follow him. He went out to the working class of his day, to men who had faith and called them, and they followed him. And that's Jesus today, by the way. Not that he doesn't call those that may be achieving great things in this world, but he goes to average people, and he loves to minister to them. When we think of the teachings that these men began to discover, the incredible teachings of Christ, there are teachings that are unlike anything that we even hear today, even this day. Jesus told us what real happiness is. Remember on the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn and on and on. When he said, if you build your house on the sand, the wind is going to beat on that house. The rain is going to come and hit it. And great is going to be the destruction of your house. But if you build your house on the rock, the rain will beat against it and the wind will beat against, beat against it and your house will stand. So many of other teachings of Jesus that were unique and powerful. Also, we think of his interaction with people, that he was called a friend of sinners. He loved people who were sinners that needed a savior. And he didn't have a problem getting close to them. There's that one great account where he's at Simon the Pharisee's house and a woman comes in. They, they would recline around a table. Their feet would be behind them. They would recline on their left side and they would eat with their right hand at tables that were very close to the ground. And a woman came in who was a prostitute and she wept on the feet of Jesus and she wiped her tears with her hair. And Simon thought to himself, if this man were were the Messiah. If he, was, if he was anything, he wouldn't let this woman touch him. And Jesus said, Simon, let me ask you a question. Who loves more, the one who's forgiven little 
or the one who's forgiven much? And Simon said, well, I guess the one that's been forgiven much. And he said, and so this woman has been forgiven much. Who treats people that way, the way Christ did? There was a, a book several years ago called The Day America Told the Truth. It was a, a polling of a thousand Americans and it was completely anonymous. They, they didn't know what your answers were. And they asked you several different categories. One of them was religion. And in this, they asked, what do you think of the church? And the responses were very negative. There were very few that were just good and positive. The responses of the church were, well, it's full of hypocrites. We've heard that one before, right? They're self-righteous. And we've heard that one. And maybe even sometimes are a little guilty of that. And we ought to be self-aware that we do not come across as being self-righteous to people that are out in the world. The only way we are righteous is because of the grace and mercy of our God being poured upon us, not because of anything within ourselves. It doesn't make us any better. It makes us just those that have been touched by God. It was, it was overwhelmingly negative, unfortunately. But then they asked the people what they thought of Jesus. And the responses were overwhelmingly positive. Because when they think of Jesus and they think of his teachings and they think of his mercy and they think of the way he interacted with people and sinners, the woman caught in the act of adultery, uh, the businessman Zacchaeus who climbed up into a tree, he walked right up to him and said, I'm going to your house. He was so touched by Jesus when he ministered to him and they see Jesus and they're drawn to him. And I think, and my hope for next year is that we would become better, that I would become better at representing Jesus that people would see Christ in me, that as Christians, we would respond and react to those around us the way that Jesus would respond and react to those around us. And the Bible says, if he is lifted up, he will draw all people to himself. So if we lift Jesus up, then people will be drawn to Christ. Now, I also want to consider angels for a moment, if you would let me. And that is that, that uh, the Bible is full of them. There was a terrestrial fall when Adam and Eve fell and sin entered the world. But do you know that there was also a celestial creation? Angels. This world of, of angels, the Bible says, are a little bit higher than men or that man is a little bit lower than the angels. We often think that angels know everything, but they don't. They are created and they don't die the way that we die. They've had a lot of experiences and the vast majority of them serve God. And some of them have fallen. Just as there was a terrestrial fall, there was a celestial fall. These angels fell and there are different kinds of angels. There are cherubim and there are seraphim. There is an archangel in Michael. There is a, an angel that stands in the presence of God in Gabriel. There is a, a fallen angel, Lucifer, who we know as Satan and the devil, and the Bible speaks to us about them. And that there's a spiritual world, even in here today, that we don't see around us. And that might scare some people. Some people might think, well, that means there could be some demonic beings in this room with us even here today. Yeah, that may be true, but I'll guarantee you there's far more angels here. Do you know why? Because the Bible says that God sends his angels to minister to those that have salvation. We have angels. Jesus talked about the angels of children. The idea of a guardian angel is a biblical thing. Now, I don't know how it goes. I don't know if God assigns an angel to Robert Furrow throughout life. I think that angel probably is like, bummer, man. Couldn't I have got somebody else? I got I to gotta, I gotta help this guy his whole life. I, I don't know if you've been assigned one angel or if maybe it's a tag team match. I've had enough. I'm out. You go in. 
maybe there's different angels that work in different categories of our lives. We know that Jesus, when he was tempted in the wilderness, was ministered to by angels. We know that when Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was full of sorrow and all of our grief and all of our sorrow was placed upon Jesus, that angels ministered to him. And I believe that angels minister to you. And if that's the case, then there might be a stray demon here or there with us in this room. But the Bible never says angels have wings, okay? Never says it. So I don't know what happens when a bell rings, okay? Here on Christmas Eve. Because the Bible never says that. But as in a way to speak, this room is full of the rustling of wings in the spiritual sense. There are angels standing by us, ministering to us even now. Is that not just an incredible thought? And angels are most seen. I don't think God wants us to get obsessed with them. And that's why the Bible tells us a lot about them, but doesn't spend a lot of time on it. And at these certain times in the life of Jesus, angels became very aware. One of them is the birth of Christ. The other one is the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. We read of angels being involved. And it's interesting to look at these angels who must have been waiting for this time for so long. So we pick it up in verse 5 of Luke chapter 1, and we're introduced to the first time in Luke that an angel appears getting ready for the birth of the Messiah. It says, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judah, a certain priest named Zacharias. His wife was the daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Zacharias and Elizabeth. It says, And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord and blameless. These are three different things we learn about them. Number one, righteousness is to, is to be right with people. They were right with people around them and they were right with God. You have righteousness when you treat people right and when you are right with God. That's what righteousness is. And they were righteous and they walked in the commandments and they were obedient to the things God said. They wanted to do what God wanted them to do and they lived that way doesn't mean they never sinned, but it means they walked in them and they were blameless, not because they never sinned, but because they did what they needed to do according to the law to make sure that they were blameless, that they were covered. They gave the sacrifices that were required in their day. We too could have these things said of us because of Christ. We are righteous. We walk in the commandments and the ordinances of the Lord and we are blameless because of the blood of the lamb that died for us. It says, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. Now, to be barren in their day was a, was a shame. It isn't in our day, but it was in their day. And she had bore this shame until she was well advanced in years. In fact, she is so old that a little bit later on in this same account, Zacharias says of his wife, she is exceedingly old. Now, to say someone is old is one thing, but to say she is exceedingly old, it's another. And then we're told, so it was, that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of the division, there were so many priests in their day that they had to divide them out and draw lots for what part you would take care of them in the, in the temple. And we don't know how many times that they got to draw a lottery to go in. Some believe there were so many priests from the priestly family in this time that some of them would have been once or twice in a lifetime. You got to draw a lot and go into the holy place. The holy place had the incense altar 
It had the giant curtain, which behind it would be where the Ark of the Covenant used to be. It wasn't there in the days of Zechariah. There was the candelabra and there was the table of showbread. You would draw a lot and it would say the table of showbread. You would draw a lot and it would say the incense table. You would draw a lot and it would say the candelabra. And then you would go into the holy place. Could you imagine if the temple were still standing? What an exciting thing it would be to draw the lot to go into the holy place where that candelabra is, where that table of showbread is, where the presence of God was behind that curtain when the Ark of the Covenant was there and to be called to minister to that incense burner to take out all the old incense, clean it up and put in new incense and light it once again. What an exciting thing it must have been for him. I think if I could have had that opportunity, I, it would be a highlight of a life. If you would have that opportunity, wouldn't you be incredibly excited to be able to go and do that? So you could think about how excited Zacharias is. He gets to go in. And the incense altar, by the way, is a sign of prayers. As the incense burnt and filled that holy room, that holy place, it was a symbol of our prayers like incense filling heaven. I, I think sometimes we forget the power of our prayers. And sometimes we don't even pray about the things that are the most important to us. We just don't pray anymore. And we forget that God answers prayers and that Jesus said, ask and keep asking. Knock and keep knocking. Continue to seek God that your prayers might one day be answered, especially the things that are most important to you. You can think of them even now as I'm speaking. Maybe things in your life that have gone prayerless that you need to put some incense up before the throne of God. It says, so it was that while he was serving as a priest in the order, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of people was praying outside at the hour of incense. See another example of how incense is prayer. They're praying outside while he's going in to light this incense. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Now we're going to learn that this is Gabriel. And I wonder if Gabriel thought this old guy, I'm going to mess with him. Because you're walking into the holy place and no one is supposed to be in there. It's supposed to be empty. And you go in and you have this moment there with God. And there is not just a man. There is an angel that's standing on the right side of the incense burner, which was right in front of the curtain. You ever walk up on someone and realize that you're going to startle them? So you try to make some noise. I, I was walking out of a door and there was a person walking in and the door had heavy. It was, what's this stuff? The stuff you put on doors to make the sun not come in. <laughs> tent. It had heavy tent. Thank you. Why? Why, can, why does the brain just go, I'm not going to let you know what that word is. I'm going to make you stand here in front of all these people and not remember tent on a window. That's what I'm going to do. So I'm walking up and the door, the door has a lot of tent in it and I start to open the door and this guy's coming in and I realize, you know, I, I'm going to scare him if it is. So I just tried to step back a little bit and he walked in and he did get a little startled. I said, sorry, I was, I was trying not to startle you. Uh, but that's in a place where people are expected, right? The same thing happens sometimes on an elevator. An elevator door will open up and the person's looking down walking in the elevator and they see a person and they get startled. Did it surprise you on a people mover that people were on it? <laughs> you can expect that people would be there, but you guys have had that happen, right? 
They walk in, they're like, oh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then you're like, okay, yeah, sorry. So I wonder if, uh, I, I, I walked in the kitchen before with my wife, Kathy, and I know she doesn't know I'm there. And if I just go in and say, hey, baby, do you know where? Then she's going to, yeah, right? So I'll make some noise. I'll shuffle my feet. I'll bang the counter a little bit. I'll just to let her know, I'm here. I wonder if Gabriel was just like, this is going to be so fun. <laughs> and just startle Zacharias. And I think he probably did, because look at what he says. And it says, verse 12, And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. That's the kind of thing that you like to see in America's Funniest Home Videos. Maybe over and over and over again. That one moment of fear falling upon this old man. But, and the way I put it that way, maybe we don't want to, right? Maybe it's like, oh, poor guy. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid. Which is something you don't say to people unless they're afraid. If I walk up to you, just seeing you, and I say, instead of Merry Christmas, I say, don't be afraid. You go, should I be? <laughs> I don't understand. The angel said, don't be afraid, Zacharias. Your prayer is heard. What a thing. Your prayer is heard. Our prayers get answered. And there are prayers up there now that I wonder if one day God will say to us, your prayer has been heard. And then he says, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. We've already learned she's exceedingly old. I think Zacharias would say, that's an old prayer, Lord. <laughs> I wanted that prayer to be answered a long time ago. That prayer had been moving around. And he says, and you shall call his name John. And this is John the Baptist. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. The angel tells him that he's going to be a Nazarite from his, his birth. If you, um, have you ever found yourself at a distance from God? You ever found yourself just feeling dry and, and like just the, the presence of God, just, it just seemed dry. It happens to us all, okay? Where we just feel distant from him all of a sudden and we don't want to. Well, the Bible tells us to draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. So we make efforts in our life and, and sometimes intense efforts. The Bible says, search for him with all of your heart and you'll find him. Search for him with everything you've got. So sometimes we need to go to God and give everything we have to be able to find him. But if you felt that way in the Old Testament, you could take a Nazarite vow. You would commit yourself to, to not touching anything that had died. You would commit yourself to not drinking any wine or even touching a grape for that matter. And you would, say, and you would not let your hair be cut during those days. So however long your vow was, your hair grew. Then at the end of it, you would shave your head and take your hair in as a sacrifice. This is the hair that grew during that time. Samson was a Nazarite for life. John the Baptist was a Nazarite for life. So these guys had long hair and they never cut their hair off. Well, John the Baptist never had his hair cut off. Samson, eh. Uh, but uh, so he will have that commitment to God to always be close to him and to always live close to him. And then it says, and he, verse 16, and he will turn many children of Israel to the Lord their God. His job is to turn people to God. And he will also go before him, that is Jesus, in the power and the spirit of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. What a job to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This wild looking man in camel's hair and a leather belt eating locusts and, and wild honey would go out and tell people, make your heart ready because he 
is on his way. It's one of the reasons that I like the video that we had today for Christmas at the end when Mary says, he's here. It's time. The Messiah is here. I, I was watching a movie the other night on the life of Jesus. Maybe I shouldn't do it anymore. I saw it and I thought, I want to watch this. And then it was so inaccurate. I mean, just so bad. And uh, they got to John the Baptist and the message that John the Baptist preached while he was preaching and baptizing people was repent and be forgiven of your sins. That was his message. But that wasn't his message. He had so much more of a powerful message. Had they just had John the Baptist standing in the water and saying, prepare your hearts for the Lord because he's on his way. Make the paths of your life straight because you are about to meet the Messiah. How powerful would that have been in the show? So I just keep mumbling under my breath. This show's so bad. This show's so bad. So I just want to let you know, if you're producing a movie on the life of Jesus, I'm available to be a consultant. Because <laughs> I don't know why these, they can't get it right. They, they give John the Baptist the message of Jesus instead of his own message, which is to prepare the way. You and I, by the way, are like John the Baptist. We have been given the keys to the kingdom and we prepare people's hearts to meet the Lord. We're introducing people to Jesus as the church. How incredibly powerful. Well, let's move on now to the next appearance of the angel. It's the same angel. And we'll pick it up in verse 26 of chapter 1. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. We have engagement and marriage. They had engagement, betrothal, and marriage. Engagement was, well, it was arranged in their day. I was going to say it's like ours, but it really wasn't because it was arranged. Parents got together and said, your daughter and my son make a cute couple. Let's get them married. So they arranged the marriages. And then they would have a ceremony and be betrothed. And when they were, they were considered to be married, but they had no, none of the benefits uh, or they didn't consummate the marriage. So they, she remained a virgin and he would go and build and prepare a place for her. Then when he had it done, no set time, it was about a year, but no set time, he would return unexpectedly and get her and take her to her new home. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. I'm going to come and get you. That's the picture. We are the bride of Christ, the Bible says. We are betrothed to him right now. And he will unexpectedly come back and get us and take us to the place that's prepared for us. There's a place prepared for us. So she was betrothed to him, but she hadn't had sex with him. And she was still a virgin. And having come in, the angel said to her, and look how nice he is to her. He startles Zacharias, but he says to her, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. He didn't say don't be afraid, probably because he didn't startle her. But however it happened, his first words were rejoice, highly favored one. But when she saw him, she was troubled, not because of the sight of an angel, but listen, at his saying, considering what manner of greeting is this? When an angel shows up, he says, highly favored, rejoice, so highly favored one. You are blessed among women. Then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. For behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Jehovah, or Yahweh, is salvation. 
is what Jesus means. We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, Calvary Tucson is open and holding physical services while being mindful of social distancing guidelines. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service online at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living Radio has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or have questions about salvation? Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson and Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living Sunday mornings at 8.30 on Kagan 9 TV. May we walk worthy while we wait for the return of our Savior. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.